Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we get together and we discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. That's right. It's the Business of Agriculture where we keep it interesting, entertaining, and informative. I am in Seattle, Washington, where I'm doing speaking engagements for Simplot. You know about Simplot. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't, but you probably do. And certainly you've eaten their products. If you've had French fries, you've probably had a Simplot product. But they're much bigger than just French fries. They started out... They started out in the pork business some odd years ago, and we're going to hear more about that. But I've got two great guests, Craig Chatterton, who's in the wholesale ag division for Simplot, and John Otter, who is one of the 40 family members that are still involved in Simplot. So welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Give us the quick 10-cent tour of you and your background and your involvement. You're a part owner of this, and uh, it's a family company. You kicked off yesterday when I was the lead-off speaker talking about the history of Simplot begun by your uh, grandfather, Jack Simplot. Give me a little history. So, uh, gosh, it's uh, pretty exciting. Uh, earlier this month, we celebrated our 90th year in business. And uh, it all goes back to 1929 when uh, my grandfather was learning his way through commodities, found uh, hogs to be cheap in the winter, loaded up as many as he could, fattened them up through the winter. And if you can imagine when you're 19 years old, the year's 1929 in the spring, and you get handed a check for $7,000. In, in, it's pretty uh, big money back in the well, day. And especially in Declo, Idaho, on the banks of the Snake River. And uh, uh, so he took that money and uh, bought horses, bought land, and uh, just got more into the things that he thought he could make money. At the time, it was potatoes. Today, it's still potatoes. And uh, uh, started shipping fresh potatoes to the East Coast. And uh, World War II came along, ended up being a major supplier of dehydrated onions and potatoes to the war effort. Uh, when uh, companies have to switch from guns to butter after the war, he uh, uh, started experimenting with freezing various foods and uh, came up with the first mass-produced frozen french fry, which 20 years later he sold to Ray Kroc, and we came, became the first, and we were still the largest supplier of McDonald's french fries. And along the way, you... Uh, now, wait a minute. In the video, I, I saw this, and I also I went online and read to do a little research that it wasn't just that uh, this just happened. It was that McDonald's had a potato problem. Uh, McDonald's had a potato problem that they were being stored in the basements and stored in very storage rooms around these fast food franchises, and they were getting some spoilage. They were getting some sprouting, which obviously anybody that's kept potatoes in their drawer knows that happens. And your grandfather, J.R. Simplot, kept calling on Ray Kroc and said, by God, I can give you a better French fry. Or better yet, you're not going to have... Uh, just russet Burbanks during the peak season. I can get them to you year-round, so your customers can have great French fries. That's kind of was the sales pitch. Am I right? That's absolutely right. Ray Kroc was big about consistency. You know, you get, didn't matter which store you went to, you got four pickles, the same amount of ketchup, the same amount of onions, and uh, the one variable that uh, he didn't have control over at the time was the was the potato. And of course, you know, you, you know, you can store a potato in perfect conditions. It's going to be a, a different French fry from when you first put it in to you pull it out five months later. Yeah, I found that to be a neat story. And then we're going to get to Craig also, just in case your dear listener is saying, wait a minute, you promised me two guests, Damien. No, wait a minute. I only heard one. You're just talking to this John Otter guy. I want to hear from the other guy. Well, you're going to hear from him. And he's going to talk about a, a division that probably more of you are familiar with. He's going to talk about fertilizer specifically, as well as what's happening in, in wholesale ag. But what, was struck, uh, what struck me about J.R. Simplot's story, as I saw the video and then I went and did a little research myself, uh, an eighth grade dropout, an entrepreneurial, uh, I'd call him a chugger, a chugger and a plugger. Uh, yeah, he had some <laughs> losses, but he just kept on chugging and plugging and uh, created this huge enterprise that is today. And he's been dead now for a little over a decade, but the enterprise lives on. Yeah, that's right. And what was also interesting to me was that uh, he never, ever backed down from trying new stuff. You got feed yards. 
You have, obviously, potato processing. You have contract potato growers. You have uh, fertilizer. You have retail outlets. Am I missing anything? Turf. Uh, you've got uh, the future of potatoes in, uh, in uh, coming up with a new potato that uh, doesn't turn dark when you cut it up. That'd be the N8? That'd be the N8. Uh, late blight resistant. I like to joke that we solved the uh, potato famine of, I- of Ireland of 1840. Yeah, you did that. The only problem is it was about 150 or 200 years too late. True. But that's okay. Uh, they, they, uh, the people that enjoy your product do appreciate your efforts in that. Craig Chatterton is with the Wholesale Division, and I want you to tell me what that means. I just named off a bunch of we – got, we got a structure with Simplot that is three, uh, three divisions within agribusiness, and that is – tell me about that. So Simplot has, uh, we've got a wholesale division, a retail division, and there's also an industrial division. Uh, On the wholesale side, we've got four producing plants, uh, one in Pocatello, Idaho, one in Rock Springs, Wyoming, one in Lathrop, California, and one in Helm, California. And then we also have three import facilities, one in California, one in Portland, Oregon, one down in Texas. So with those facilities, we try and provide wholesale fertilizer products around the country, mostly in the western half of the United States. We don't dabble on the other side of the Mississippi very often. Got it. So you're with the wholesale division, and specifically, then we think of we, you think of fertilizer. I think of fertilizer. Is that what I'm uh, going with? Absolutely. That's exactly that. That is my whole life within Simplot. All right. Within that industry, we're seeing a lot of uh, consolidation. It's a commodity product. You got these great big, huge, vast tracks of land where you go out there and dig up stuff, and you cook it, move it, process it, and then put it on a train. Is there is there anything more I need to know about fertilizer than that? You know, on our side of the fence, we try and concentrate on quality. Simplot makes a very, very good product. A lot of people refer to ours as Green Map or Green 1620. Um, Green is gold for us. It's, uh, It's very well received out in the marketplace as a higher quality, more durable, less dusty, all of that type of thing. A lot of those uh, attributes are very important to the growers and the retail application folks out in the field. There's a product that, uh, and not only yours, but there's other products, and I want you to explain this to me because I'm not a fertilizer expert, where you uh, put a coating on it. So it gives it longevity in the soil. Is that is that something you guys do? We do a little bit of that. We have a, what's called a galaxy technology. It's more on our turf and ornamental side, but uh, basically what you do is you put a a waxy type coating on the outside of a urea granule. And uh, over time, that coating will degrade and allow the urea and nitrogen to come out into the whatever uh, whatever application you're using it for. You can vary the uh, application rate by the thickness of that coating. So thicker coatings last longer, thinner coatings last less long. Aside from those advancements, a lot of folks are listening to this, but I think fertilizer's fertilizer. Okay, it's just how cheap I can get it by the ton. It's NPK, it's it's 28%, it's 12-12-12, uh, it's 10-30-30, or whatever these numbers are. I mean, I don't buy a great deal of fertilizer, but uh, I, I've written my ground out to a person that buys a ton of it and ton of it and ton of it. So what else do I need to know about fertilizer? There's a couple of big players, and uh, there was a consolidation that happened just last year, right? There is. Give me a little background on that and how it affected Simplot. Well, so on the Simplot side, one of the the things that we fight uh, constantly is there's a lot of import material that comes in. Um, we're imported from? Imported from usually Morocco. Uh, another one is Saudi Arabia. China up until recently has been a big actor. Um, on the nitrogen side, it comes from other places in the world as well. So we have to constantly fight that. In fact, you'll hear our CEO 
a lot of times talk about our competition is other countries as opposed to other companies many times. Um, they've got different uh, different measurements for how they how they view how they keep people employed versus a, a profitable company. So yeah, and they also have a different uh, playbook for environmentalism and uh, fertilizer. Anybody that's listening to this is not in ag, and certainly anybody that's in ag understands that we're increasingly harped on about uh, you know the environmental protesters and activists. That's what I call the EPA, the environmental protesters and activists that are always making it harder on us. What's that do for you for the future? One of the challenges that we face all the time is we have a lot of environmental compliance regulations, and it's we want to be good stewards in the market and take care of the land and the water and all of that type of thing. But a lot of our competition, say OCP down in Morocco, their answer to one of the byproducts that you make as a fertilizer producer is a lot of gypsum. They've got a 10-mile pipeline that goes out into the Atlantic and dumps the gypsum into the Atlantic. We spend tens of millions of dollars every year to line ours, keep it clean, keep it out of the water, keep it out of the environment. So it's a different playing field. Got it. Here's what I need to know also. Retail. A lot of your stuff goes into retail. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay. So tell us about that. You have 93 retail outlets as a company. This is the place where farmers go and get their crop inputs. They buy shuttles of glyphosate. They buy their their fertilizer. They buy whatever they need to put a crop out. Uh, Tell me about the retail side of it. And I know you're not there, but that's where a lot of your stuff goes. So our retail group, uh, they kind of live in a couple of pockets, a handful of pockets. We've got a Pacific Northwest pocket, a California pocket, a Texas pocket, a Midwest Nebraska, Colorado pocket, and then a Red River Valley pocket. Um, Simplot on the wholesale side provides a lot of the fertilizers and inputs that go into there. On the retail side, they try and be all things to the farmers out there. They're, uh, they're a one-stop shopping center, if you will. They try and cover the, the fungicide, the fertilizer, the application. They want to do everything. A lot of other retailers out there, they're more interested in just selling one of, the, one of those items or one of those lines. We try and do everything and be a one-stop shopping center for the, for the grower. Got it. Bringing it back to John Otter, one of the directors. Tell me real quickly about your role because you you came up in this business. You're you you came back to it, or we'll say re entrenched yourself in it. So tell me your history with Simplot. Well, uh, of course, I've uh, people ask when you were born. People ask me how long I've been with it. I ask them. I tell them how old I am. Uh, I got a lot of time with my grandfather growing up, uh, and all, me and all my cousins got a lot of time with him. So we really got uh, a lot of the passion, his passion, and entrepreneurialism passed on to us. Uh, in fact, so much that uh, I was encouraged to leave Idaho for a little while. Uh, none of us thought it would be thirty years, but I moved back about six months ago, and I'm thrilled uh, to be a more part of the Simplot company. It's the main reason why I moved back. Uh, as a director, uh, we're really focused on not the next five or ten years, but the next 30 years. What do we What do we do 10 years ago? Are we still going to be doing that 20, 30 years from now? And then we we try to make the right investments to, uh, to, to make sure that we're doing the right thing then. One of the struggles for entrepreneurial people is passing on their their legacy, but also their, their vision. And I got the idea that when I was watching the video that obviously J.R. Simplot was an entrepreneurial person. J.R. Simplot looked at what he could do to create and build and just you know create this, this incredible uh, business. But now you've got a, a different generation and you've also got a different marketplace. So how do you keep that vision going without becoming stagnant? That's a great question. Uh, one that we constantly ask ourselves ask, ask ourselves well. And what we try to do is try to get as much of the family at least uh, understanding what's going on with the company, if not involved with it directly. Uh, last year, I took my my three or then three year old and my one and a half year old to our our feedlot, and then we went and helped dig some potatoes out of the ground during harvest. And then we went to the French fry facility. And it was funny. My son afterwards, we got back and he had his hard hat and his safety glasses. And next thing you know, he's farming potatoes on 
the living room floor and processing them on the on the uh, the counter the, the kitchen countertop. That's good. And, Everybody uh, listening right now has a child that's in agriculture thinks it's neat when her kids carpet farm. So that's cool. You got a kid that's carpet farming, and this is kind of all new to him. Yeah, but he's passionate about it. And every time we drive by, when we're out in the country and we drive by a factory or a cow or cattle or something like that, he he he's got a lot of questions. And the first one usually is, uh, is that ours? Probably not the best because they're not all ours. No, they're not all yours. <laughs> Although you have a significant number of them. So back to Craig, uh, the future of what you guys do. What's what's the challenge? What do what do you see as the biggest challenge you face at the wholesale division with Simplot? You know, one of the things we always wrestle with, and we're actually doing it at this sales meeting this week, is how do we maintain relevance in front of our customer? We've got to stay ahead of the game versus our competition, and our competition continues to get more and more consolidated. They're tougher out there. They're harder on us. Um, they squeeze the margins, and we try and maintain what's an acceptable margin to keep the family in business and keep the whole thing afloat. Yeah, and when people say competitive, unfortunately what they usually mean is getting cheaper. And that's commodity mindset, which I talked about yesterday in my business presentation about reinvention. So did you get anything from my talk yesterday about reinvention that you're gonna take home? I'm going to try and go and reinvigorate my team to make sure that we are staying relevant in front of our company. Relevance is a big thing, because what do we say? That relevance equals demand, and when you are in demand, it means you matter. And when you stop mattering, or when you just look when you look like any other entity that, that uh, a company can bring up something, and it, then all of a sudden it just comes down to price, and you don't really want that. Nope, it's not in our best interest to be on the price side. We want to be out there on the quality side, the logistics side, everything else that matters to a grower other than price. We try and push that one to the back of the back of the list what do you see as a future opportunity both of you i want to know start with john what's the future opportunity okay three years from now five you moved your family to boise you got back involved you're you're back in you're full you're you're, you're knee deep you're you're into your elbows and and potato soil where's the five years where, where are we going to be five years from now? well five ten years from now is going to be really interesting because uh, my dad likes to joke that uh, farmers double their output and he always asks how, how do they do it well they put lights on tractors and today i think we're in and in, in the next revolution that uh, that the first one was when farming was mechanized today whether you're talking drones high resolution cameras genetics rfid everything can be measured inputs can all be measured outputs can all be measured and uh, no one knows what the secret sauce is yet but it's certainly an exciting time a lot of money's being poured into this space and uh, it's hard to say exactly but uh, um, our innate potato is a, a good good indication of where the industry's heading we'll get to the innate potato because that's something i want to talk about as far as a, a an innovation within the product line but as far as the other part of it friend of mine and friend of the show business of agriculture rob syke is big on technology he founded a company in canada and he's now a ceo for a autonomous autonomous machinery company and he's always oh, talks about agriculture 5.0. You know, we, we, we went from hunter-gatherers to then cultivating crops and then domesticating livestock and then using livestock and draft animals and then to machinery. And now it's about another level of technology. It's things like the N8 potato. It's things like G GMOs. It's things like uh, autonomous machinery. Tell me now about the N8 potato. So the inmate potato is something we've been working on for quite some time. Gen generation two of this potato was approved uh, by the various government re re regulators. Real, real quickly, listeners, it's in eight, as in something you possess, not inmate, as in somebody who's incarcerated. <laughs> in eight, okay. So it was approved about, uh, I'd say, two years ago. Uh, we're selling in, uh, fresh product into the marketplace now uh, in, in retail. But basically, we didn't add any genes to the potato. We just turned a few off. And uh, some of the qualities that brought forth were 
like I said earlier, you can slice and dice it, look at it a half hour later, and it's the same color, didn't turn dark. And that saves a massive amount of waste uh, through the industry. Have you faced food protesters because of the innate potato? You know, the reaction has been interesting. Um, because I'm, I pay attention to those kind of things pr- pr- uh, pretty hardcore. We didn't go out with, with blazing signs and billboards and everything. It was kind of a quiet launch. Um, but the reaction, uh, it was written up in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, uh, all the industry publications. And the reaction was, uh, I wouldn't say uh, highly accepted, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, people weren't protesting it. People weren't arguing with it. I actually personally believe that the genetically modified organism protest is waning and will go away. It hit its fever pitch between 2014 and 2015, from my observation as a guy in the business of agriculture on the front lines who also lives half the year in the suburbs of Phoenix. I I know the customers. I am around the customers. I, I I go and do my research at Whole Foods and the Trader Joe's. And I think the argument goes away because I think the argument has lost some steam. Uh, and so your timing might be just Well, you're amazing. right. It's it's lost steam. I think... Uh, uh, because a, a lot of the initial fears haven't borne truth, and uh, but not only that, uh, from a sustainability perspective, when when you can show that you can put a material difference, less inputs. I mean, some products it's water, other it's it's some of the products that we sell. But if you can show that you you can demonstrate that that your product doesn't need that to get the, the a similar yield, then people I think buy into it a lot more. Going back to technology and also going back to Craig Chatterton, who's the wholesale uh, VP, director of wholesale VP. I see technology making your business different. I want you to give me your thoughts, but I'll give you one right now. I'll just throw you the softball. I believe we're going to use less fertilizer per acre five years from now than we do right now, just because of technological advancements and placement. Uh, am I right? Absolutely. Precision ag is a growing industry within our within our whole industry. Um, you got variable rate tractors out there. You've got new fertilizers. We have a new one uh, that we came out with maybe five, six years ago called 40 Rock. We make that at our Rock Springs plant. It's a little different than some of the other folks. Um, we've also got a new one coming out of our well, Lather plant. I want plant. to hear what that is. Wait a minute. 40 Rock. Okay. Tell me about this. What's it do? So 40 Rock is a... Uh, it, it's an 11, uh, it's at 12-40 with sulfur and zinc in it. So, the so idea, we're picking up some micros as well as macros. Is that the idea here? That's exactly the idea. You want to have more feeding sites for the plants. And so you've got a very, very dense product with a lot of nutrients in it that the plant can reach out and touch and absorb but a more readily, more easily fashion, more easy fashion. The other one that we have that's a new one that's coming out down in Lathrop is a product called Fusion, Fused Ammonium Nitrate Sulfate. So it's a less detonable form of ammonium nitrate uh, so that we don't have the problems like we saw with the Oklahoma City bombing and that type of thing, but you still get the, the better bang for the buck with nitrate-type product for an early spring fertilizer. We talked about the protests going on over here, maybe against genetically engineered food crops, but I want to hear about, uh, real quick, while Craig still has the microphone, environmentalism and its impact, you think, moving forward against what you do. I see, I see environmentalism, and I'm going to talk about it here when I get up and do my next presentation for you, as a new religion. Uh, is it going to impact you, and how? You know, one of the issues that we face in the ag industry is uh, waterway issues out in the Midwest. That's become a real big issue. Um, 
we want to try and stay ahead of it as an industry as a whole, not just as a company of Simplot, because we want to stay we want to stay on the right side of the law and do self-regulation as opposed to getting the government more and more involved. Because I think we would end up with something that's not sustainable from a true farming perspective if the government gets involved and starts putting up hard road stops along the way. Yeah, we dodged a bullet on waters of the U.S. and there's folks that fashioned that as we were just trying to make it so we could continue to pollute the waters, and that they realized that it got into an issue of property rights as a farm owner and landowner in the Midwest where it rains a lot. Uh, I can tell you those are real issues. Uh, all right, John Otter, you were obviously born into this and you've mm-hmm. re-entrenched yourself in it. You did something smart and family businesses that are, succeed do something that I think is really smart. They make the offspring go away and learn and get their hands dirty and scrape their knees and then come back and bring back that outside knowledge. You moved away, you were away, you were involved in the business, but not as intensely as you are now. How do you keep that going? Well, uh, you, you sell the benefits of it. I mean, my parents literally, it was junior year in high school, thinking about where I'm going to go to go to school, and they literally sat me down and said, look, you're few people in the state of Idaho have the middle name Simplot and the last name Otter. And if you always want to be known as uh, Jack's grandson and Butch's boy, my dad, uh, stay here. But uh, but if you want to get out and teach others that you can survive on your own, more importantly, teach yourself, uh, we suggest you do it. And uh, so that, that led me to the Seattle area to go to school. Ended up working here and, uh, and actually staying here. For, I did have a three-year stint with Simplot Australia when we first acquired uh, Simplot in Australia, but uh, um, I wasn't ready to go back to Boise, and I don't Know that they're ready for me yet, so I, I came back, and I, I think uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna convince my kids that they need to do the same thing. Business is business. This obviously, I've always striven, strived to make this uh, podcast about the business of agriculture. So the people who are listening to this podcast, maybe they own equipment dealerships, maybe they're in a sales capacity, maybe they own their own agricultural enterprise in, in any uh, you know category. What can they learn? Because they're maybe not of the scale that Simplot is, but it's the same lessons. How do you how do you stay enthused, and how do you also make sure that your employees that are not family members buy in? That's a seems like a real challenge. You're doing a heck of a job, from what I can see. This is your leadership forum, but how do you keep that going? Well, I think it goes to company culture, and I have to say, it's our company culture was one of the things that inspired me to come back to come back to Boise. I've been on the board now four years. It was about. Three years ago, uh, after visiting our mine in Vernal, our, our factory in Pocatello, our factories in Australia, that uh, the company culture is one where we take care of the customer, but we also take care of each other. And uh, a lot of us call it the Simplot way. And so it's like me not just being welcomed back by my blood relatives, but it's being welcomed back by uh, the 12,000 people that make Simplot what it is. 12,000 people mm-hmm. worldwide. Craig, how long have you been with Simplot? Almost 24 years. Okay. You believe in the you believe in what we're just talking about here. The culture is what keeps you here. The culture is what keeps Simplot thriving. The culture is absolutely a big component of what keeps myself as well as a lot of other employees here. I've had a lot of very good mentors over the year, and we continue to have a lot of good mentors. So uh, Simplot has been very good about reaching out, helping some people get a leg up in the industry um, and across the board. So the person that's listening to this that, say, owns an equipment dealership or, you know, the lady that owns a crop insurance agency with 21 employees, what can they learn? What's the mistakes? You know, you can admit what's the mistakes or what, what, where do we stub our toe as a company or what do you see other companies where they stub their toe? And then also what thing can they do that they can learn from you? 
You know, one of the things that we're honestly wrestling with right now and probably did not do well as a company is succession planning. We've had quite a few, if you look around at the demographics of our company, there's a lot of 50 and 60 year old folks and they're starting to fall off the backside into retirement. And so Simplot is going through a change right now. In fact, that's one of the topics that we're talking about at this sales meeting. And how do we backfill some of that industrial knowledge that we've lost just in the last maybe two years as a company? I think it's really strong. And you're sitting here in front of one of your directors to be able to say that. And that speaks highly to me about the culture that we just discussed. There are folks that want to talk about their culture and how open they are and how they can actually admit their boo-boos. And then they're terrified to do so because that means failure. Admitting boo-boos doesn't mean failure. It means we kind of screwed up over here and we're going to improve it. It's the old thing of, uh, I'm listening to a friend of mine, Scott McCain, has a book called Iconic. You know, the old thing about strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, the SWOT analysis. And so many uh, companies here got to where everything was an opportunity. Oh, well, we're all strengths and we're all, we're all opportunities. We're no threats and we're no weaknesses. Well, bullshit. There's all kinds of weaknesses and threats uh, when you really think about it. I mean, the world changes. You've got 12,000 employees. Whether you have 12,000 employees, 12 employees, or two employees, there are threats and there are also weaknesses. What's a weakness or a threat, John? Be willing to admit that? Oh, well, um, gosh, a weakness, of, of course, Craig just touched on, which is our, uh, our worldwide competition. But, of course, that's, that's the way with everybody. But, uh, it's not a weakness. That's a threat. And it's not, because, you're it's not right. because you can't compete. You obviously are doing so. You have facilities in Australia. You have facilities in South America and Canada and the U.S. But it's not, it's not even realistic to pretend that they don't want your market share and they don't want your margins because they do. No, they do. And they're coming at us from all sides all day, all year. Um, and I, I'd say that's probably one of our, one of our biggest threats opportunities gosh uh, i think i talked about some of them already yep technology Technology, where we're going to be in 10 years as an industry Uh, our culture and i and i you know i might sound cliche but i come back to that but one of the things i like to remind myself and others is that uh Part of my granddad's success, a lot of people attribute to his appetite for risk, which he which he had. It is another one was his uh, ability to the way the odds on the fly. Um, but uh, it was really his ability to, to surround himself with peop- good people that would help him keep his, his promises. And he always said, I like to hire good people and turn them loose. And today, you know, Craig and I, that's our responsibility to continue make, meeting his promises. Well, one observation for from me, and I've worked for Simplot before, and I've done speeches for different divisions. And here I am with you at your leadership forum. When you're looking at a room where there's a bunch of people that have been with the company for 20, 24, 26 years, that speaks highly of the culture. It speaks highly of the value. It speaks uh, to a lot of the strengths. Now, turning that on its head, because, again, I want the business listeners that are business owners that are listening to this, there can also set in a bit of complacency. And that's what we talked about yesterday. Mm-hmm. You brought me in to talk about the, you know, Sears went away for a reason. And you can blame Amazon mm-hmm. all day long, but you guys went and toured the Amazon facility. Amazon has a portion of the 4% of the online sales. 96% of sales are still done not online, is my understanding. So let's not pretend that Sears went away because of Amazon. There was a complacency factor. How does Simplot keep from getting complacent? Craig, you've got employees that work under you. You hire people, I'm sure. You've been here 24 years. You're, you're a VP. So when you go to Iowa State University and want to employ people, you you've, somebody sends you a resume and they are seven years in the industry and they decide they want to come work for Simplot, what do you try and instill in them? You know, one of the neat things about Simplot is they are so diverse. Um, There are places for people that have a passion and want to do something within Simplot, whether you're a geneticist, a chemist, an engineer, a salesperson, a management person. There's opportunities at every level within the company. Um, 
the, the company culture is alive and well, even though we're now on the third and fourth generation in some cases from an ownership standpoint, and then as well as a management. I think we're a good mix of new blood and old experience. Well, close things out here by asking you open-ended questions because we all work in, are employed in, invest in, own in the business of agriculture. Closing thoughts. Where do you see things going? What What are you excited about? What do you think is the neatest part about this business? What's the part that scares you a little bit? Closing thoughts about your view. You've been in it for a long time. What happens? So one of the challenges that I face and one of the things that keeps me awake at night is honestly, how do we stay relevant to our customer? The consolidation, that's an ongoing challenge with us. So our list of customers gets shorter and shorter by the year. How do we stay relevant to that smaller list of customers? Uh, how do we continue to attract new talent into our industry? Um, the ag industry was pretty sexy for a little while during the 2008 through 2014 era, and it's waning a little bit right now. There's other industries that are attracting some of the better talent. So how do we stay relevant in front of young people that want to come into this industry? I agree with that. I made the point that when I'm at my winter home in Arizona and folks want to come over and have a barbecue and drink beer and ask me how they can get involved in owning and investing in agriculture, I said, why? Well, I just read this article in the Wall Street Journal. I said, wait until three years from now, there'll be a different article. And it'll be when things are plummeting, when commodity prices are down, and it'll be all doom and gloom. Because not only is there a, is there a cyclical component to our industry, it seems as though the media's, per, per, uh, shall we say, the, the media's um, perception of it is that it's boom and bust. They almost accentuate it to the high and accentuate it to the low. John Otter, when you look forward... Closing thoughts, whatever you want to give me. The business of agriculture. You came back to it. Obviously, you're in, you're in knee deep again. That's right. For well, a reason. If you walk into the lobby of our building in Boise, uh, one of the things that we've got highlighted is a population clock. In 2015, we expect there's going to be about 9 million people on the planet, and we're concerned about making sure every one of them... 2050. It's 2050. I'm sorry. Did I say 2015? Yeah, that's that's four years ago, so I don't think we can go back... 2050. You know what I meant. I do. I do. (laughs) So uh, we want to make sure that everybody gets fed, and uh, land isn't increasing, water isn't increasing, and uh, I'm really excited about what... How, what kind of productivity increases we can make over the next 10 years. Yeah, I, I agree that uh, I disagree a little bit that we're going to get to the number. I'm going to talk about that later today. I believe that we've overestimated where we're going to go population-wise over the next 30 years. I don't believe that we can overestimate enough the concentration or attention that water is going to get. I believe that water and environmental thing is going to be our future challenge. It's going to be our future mm-hmm. fight. It's going to be our future argument. Yep. And that's where products like you're coming up with, the innate. What's next? We did, we did the genetically engineered potato. What's, what's on the horizon? Well, the next potato. And what's the next potato going to be? Use less water? Well, I, well given that it's 70% water, I, I, that's going to be, well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you're, not, you're not in the research department. <laughs> Any other closing thoughts? If, something that you would recommend, okay? The person that listens to this podcast is a business person. They want to advance themselves. They want to be better. From each of you, I want one last recommendation, piece of advice, something you've learned. Gosh, um, you saw it on the video. My granddad had a lot of great uh, colloquialisms, if I said that right. But one of my favorites was, life is not a dress rehearsal. Just make sure you're happy doing what you're doing. That's a good piece of advice from J.R. Simplot. Craig, you've been in this business a long time. You've been around. You travel. You hire people. You, you sell stuff. You know this industry. What's your last bit of advice that you've learned? Something that anybody can glean a lesson, a nugget of wisdom from. You know, be willing to take some risks. JR was very, very good at that. And uh, he won some, he lost some. Hopefully you win more than you lose. And then the other thing is, uh, if you're going to take risks, learn to fail fast. So if an idea is not working, let's get that thing gone and on to something new. 
That's probably the best little thing I've heard in uh, several of my podcasts. Fail fast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Damian Mason. You've had Craig Chatterton and John Otter with Simplot. You can find them if you really want to reach out and ask them questions. It's craig.chatterton at simplot.com. John.otter, that's like the critter that swims in rivers, at simplot.com. I'm Damian Mason. This is the Business of Agriculture. Thanks for joining us. Till next time.